Praise the Lord. We, we jumped last week and we spent some time on uh, labor and rest in honor of Labor Day. Uh, because we know this about many of the people, at least what I see when I know you, is you, you've got the labor part down past. Maybe it's the resting. But today we want to jump back into Jesus, our perfect Savior. Our focus today is on his suffering. And I want to jump right in. Because we want to have a good time for communion at the end. Hebrews 2. Verse 9. But we do see Jesus, who was made lower than the angels for a little while. Now crowned with glory and honor because he suffered death. So that by the grace of God... He might taste death for everyone. And bringing many sons and daughters to glory, it was fitting that God, for whom and through whom everything exists, should make the pioneer of our salvation perfect through what he suffered. Jesus was made perfect through suffering. Now, that's not to say that he was not perfect. He was uh, we know he was. But his role as the perfect Savior required him to suffer. And it was only through the suffering and the death of, which became the final display of him as that perfect, innocent lamb, sinless in every way, becoming the replacement, the sacrifice for us. Now, I'm going to say to you, and I hope that, I hope this happens for all of you. This is not an easy message because in reality, when you start talking about the pain and suffering of Christ, uh, I don't know about you, it, it breaks my heart when I look at it because when I think about what he had to go through for my salvation. Now you may be better. You may. But when I think about what he had to go through for my salvation. I wasn't worth it. And that's not to get your sympathy or what I was not worth. What I see Jesus went through. And, and I think it's important that we grasp. The magnitude of his suffering. So today we're going to give glory to Jesus, the glory that he deserves, as we look at how he suffered physically, emotionally, and spiritually. So let's jump in there and get going. Physically. Now most of us here understand, if we know very much about the story and the, the, what happened in Jesus' life, that he was beaten, he was abused, he was crucified, right? Uh, what we might not understand sometimes is the magnitude of it. And uh, the beating that Jesus experienced was a horrific experience for a body. Folks, it was horrible. Absolutely horrible. If they brought flogging back today, crime would drop immensely. Okay? Because there's a whole lot of difference between going to prison and a public beating like Jesus received. The whole idea of the 40 lashes, less one, 
Do you know why that is? That's because the last few lashes of this beating could take you over the edge and kill you. So they are literally beating you nearly to death. The flogging during this time, it was not like a little old whip or a, a rod or whatever. It was, it was, it was a horrible <clears throat> instrument of pain. It was uh, several strands twisted together in which they had put into it bone, pottery, metal. And uh, as they begin to beat him, literally, they are not just leaving whelps, not just leaving stripes, a little blood along the stripe. They are uh, shredding his flesh. They are, they are doing something that is unimaginable for me to grasp of how they, how they are beating him and tearing his body. It was a terrible punishment. Definitely unfitting for a person whose crime was love. Okay? He was not a guy that tried to lead an insurrection. He was, he was not a, a person who had killed multiple people and done all these horrible things. No, his crime was that he loved and that he claimed to be the son of God. <clears throat> However, the evil in their hearts fulfilled scripture and prophecy that we now are, can appreciate. And that is that by his stripes we're healed. Amen? By his stripes, we are healed. Because it was planned all along that, that men in their evilness would take and beat him. So after the beating that pretty much would take you right to the edge of death's door, they turned around and they crowned him with thorns. They put a crown of thorns, they, they press it onto his head, and then take some kind of cruel pleasure in striking him across the head where the thorns are, Inflicting more pain. <clears throat> After they've had fun at his expense, Bible tells us that they uh, walk him to Calvary where, he's in, where he will be crucified and there inflicted even more pain. Everybody here probably knows that the crucifixion is being nailed by your hands and by your feet, right? Um, and it's been depicted in lots of different ways. Uh, I basically have no words to describe what that could have been like. I can't. I, I can't. I mean, I've, I've hurt myself. You know, I've had my knees operated on, but they put me to sleep. <laughs> I, can't, I, I can't even begin to understand the kind of pain that he's going to go through right here. He's been beaten. His, his back is lacerated. He's been poked and slapped on the head and the crown's driven deeper into his brow. And now they're going to take him up on top of this hill and they're going to nail his hands and his feet. The nails, folks, do you get that? They, they are going to be driven. The guy that was building my house said that uh, he was going up a ladder and he accidentally shot his nail gun and shot a nail right through his hand just like that right through his hand and he said he barely got down from the ladder before he was passing out and that's 
And yet with Christ, they are literally driving this nail through his body. In fact, history says that they have to pretty much drive it through, in his feet, they have to pretty much drive it as close as they can through the heel so as to keep him on the cross. Otherwise, it'd all tear out. Folks, I can't get that. I cannot imagine what he is going through. And then for six hours, he hung there in absolute agony. Pulling himself up, that's what they have to do. They have to literally, using the nails in their hands and their feet, they have to try to pull themselves up and get a breath because the actual way in which you die from a crucifixion is not from the pain but from the suffocation. And so for six hours, a healthy man, a non-flogged man, could hang up there for hours and hours. In fact, I think at some point they've, they've held... They've been up there for over a day before somebody died. Um, however, usually there was an agenda, and the agenda was that at the end of the day, they would break their legs right below the knees, and then they couldn't push themselves up, and they would quickly suffocate. Jesus is the only one that actually had an agenda when he was on the cross. Think about it. He had an agenda. That's the reason why he was there. And... Uh, they didn't need to break his legs. He finished his agenda, and he actually said, it is finished. After six hours, it is finished to Telestai. He had done everything that was needing to be done. <clears throat> that word, to Telestai, it's finished, means it's complete. That's it. Folks, that's a valuable word for us to get. You see, you cannot add anything to it. You can't. It's absolutely complete. What he did was all that was necessary. And when, when he finished, it was complete. <clears throat> He'd fulfilled the scriptures. The sacrifice for sin was now complete. He had finished his divine purpose, forgiveness, and salvation was now provided by his sacrifice and by his blood. There is no longer a need to kill a lamb, hold sin at bay. It was done, finished. <clears throat> he fulfilled the scriptures. But what did it cost him? I just, I just walked you through a bunch of that, but what did it cost him? I want to give you a verse of scripture, Isaiah 52, 14. It tells us this. It says, his appearance was so disfigured beyond that of any human being and his form marred beyond human likeness. Now, I want you to, I don't know what that conjures up in your mind, but I want you to focus on that for just a moment. His appearance was so disfigured beyond that of a human being. Folks, think about it. The beating, being struck in the face and the head, the crucifixion, the piercing through his side. Hey, I'm trying to stir you here a moment. He's a blob of flesh hanging on a cross. 
he has been put through what no one person, as far as we know historically, he was put through what no one person was ever put to. You didn't both flog them and crucify them. If you flogged them, that was it. That was their punishment. And here he is in absolute brutality, beaten and, and taken to the worst place so that there is just nothing about him that even looks like Jesus. <clears throat> if you're familiar with what they call cost analysis, folks, he paid too high a price. That's too high a price. I mean, think about the cruelty of everybody around him. Think about everything that was going on and how cruel. I mean, they were literally being as mean as they could be. What a price to pay. That he would be able to even look at them and say, Lord, forgive them. Sometimes when we look at what Jesus went through, we think, you know, how could God do that? Folks, listen, that's where we get it off. God didn't do that. It was God's will that he would have to be the lamb, but the pain, the cruelty, all that, folks, we did that. We did that. Again, back in Isaiah 53, verse 4. Surely... He took up our pain and bore our suffering. Yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him and afflicted. No, here comes the truth. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him and by his wounds we are healed we all like sheep have gone astray each of us has turned to our own way and the lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all folks it was our sins and our rebellion that afflicted jesus pain and suffering the only part the father did was provide the perfect lamb and then after providing the perfect lamb, place upon that lamb the sins of the world. You see, in the Old Testament, the person who had sinned had to put their hands upon the lamb. And then the lamb was sacrificed for their sins. Jesus, the perfect lamb of God, had all the sins of the world placed upon him. <clears throat> Now, that's his physical pain. Let's look at his physical pain. Excuse me, his emotional pain. When my tablet comes back on, there we go. Bible tells us he was all God, all man. We've talked about that several times. All God, all man. Being all man, he had the emotions that you and I have. So when I read a verse like this in Isaiah 53, 3, he was despised and rejected by mankind. I have to imagine that he would hurt the way I would hurt. So emotionally, he would feel the pain that I feel if I was rejected. 
Folks, Jesus was rejected. Now, being rejected by the spiritual leaders, that wasn't that big a to-do. But to be rejected by everybody else that was there, people that had seen his miracles, people that had eaten from his miraculous provision of bread and fish, those people, those who, who were so afraid of the Pharisees and the, and, and the high priests and everything that they would keep their mouth shut. Now, those he's feeling at this moment, the rejection, because they remain silent, knowing full well who he was and what he had done. And I believe probably everybody in here can, has a story of their own of somehow in which they felt rejected. And it's hard, isn't it? It really is. Whether it was, you know, from a, from a person in a relationship or, or something that happened at work or whatever, that, that whole feeling of rejection as if you're not good enough, not enough, whatever. He was totally rejected. And not by just, he was rejected by every, there was nobody in that crowd that stood for him. There was nobody that would say, wait, 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 wait. I can make a witness of something good that he did. So there he was. Uh, Think about it. He was falsely accused, slandered, and humiliated. And he could have defended himself. He could have said, no, I'm not guilty. I didn't do that. I'm innocent. He didn't justify his actions. The Bible says he remained silent. I don't know about you, but when I've been falsely accused, the last thing in the world that comes easy for me is to remain silent. You know what I mean? You start spreading lies or making up rumors or whatever. I want to, I want to go, nope, nope, that's not true. But he remained silent. They mocked him. They spit on him. Do you know how degrading that is to be spit upon? That's degrading. I mean, you stop and consider that Jesus had more kindness and mercy to a woman caught in adultery than they had to him when basically all he had done is shown the love of God and do the miraculous. Now, I'm going to go out on a limb. You don't have to agree with this. (laughs) But it absolutely amazes me that after the beating, after the crown of thorns, after the striking him with a rod and, and mocking him and then spitting upon him, it absolutely amazes me because, and and it's so good that God's not like us because me and us, At that particular point right there, it amazes me that God, Christ Jesus, did not at that point say, all right, enough. Bring the 12,000 angels and destroy this place. Forget the prophecies. Forget All I see is the cruelty and the evil that's in the hearts of men. And you know what? I'm not doing it. And I want to ask you this one question. If he just said, you know what? Forget this. They're not worth it. Destroy the world. Who would be around to complain? Who would be around to say, ah, you didn't fulfill your word. And yet, you know what? I think if it had been you or me, we'd have said, (laughs) send the 12,000. Wipe this place out. Forget it. 
but he didn't. And from the cross, looking at nothing but evil and rejection and hatred, he says, Father, forgive him. That brings us to the spiritual suffering. Uh, amidst all of this that's going on, his pain, his suffering, the rejection, the slander, all of that. Jesus, hanging on the cross, declares these words, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? We know, according to what we read of this part in Mark 15, the darkness has covered the earth and it's been covering the earth for about three hours. Okay? Think about that. <clears throat> Probably everybody in the world is looking around like, what in the world is going on? It's like the sun has been blotted out and darkness has just creeped in. But Jesus knows what's going on. He knows why it's going on. Darkness, the sin of the world. Everybody listen. The sin of the world is collecting together. And because at this particular time, God is literally taking the sins of the world and placing them upon the innocent lamb. And he who knew no sin is now becoming sin so that God can judge that and forever create forgiveness for us. I think that had to be the most difficult of all the pain that Jesus ever experienced because for the very first time, there was a separation between him and the Father. See, the Bible tells us very clearly that he and the Father were one. John 10.30. Bible tells us in John 14.9, anybody that had seen him had seen the Father. That's how, that's how close and same they were. You've seen Jesus, you've seen the Father. Hebrews tells us he was a perfect radiance and representation of God. He is God, Emmanuel on the earth. They have never been separated until this moment right here when all of the sins of the world are placed upon him. The Father and the Son, the Father, the Son, totally one. And now all of a sudden, separated by sin. Now, listen, I want to... As we talked about this two weeks ago, he's here because of total obedience, total obedience to the Father. He only spoke what the Father wanted him to speak. He only did what the Father wanted him to do. His life on earth gave such pleasure to God that God would even speak from heaven and say, this is my son in whom I'm so pleased. God was so pleased with Christ. His work on the earth, what he's doing, everything that he's accomplishing. But here, all of a sudden, this is the climax of everything for centuries and centuries. And God has to place the sin, folks, your sin, my sin. He had to place that upon Jesus. We weren't even around yet. But he knew. He had to place that sin upon Jesus Christ and judge it. And at the moment that he became sin and he felt the judgment of God, 
And he would cry out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken? In other words, now I am absolutely alone. <clears throat> that had to be the worst time ever in the life of Christ because it had never been. Never, never been. Never will be again. But Isaiah tells us in 53 verse 12, he poured out his life unto death and was numbered with the transgressors. That, that's, a, that's a very valuable concept. He was numbered with the transgressors. If you don't quite get what that means, that means he became just like us. He was numbered with us, just like a sinner. He was numbered with the transgressors. And when you are in sin, you are separated from God. And I'm going to take a moment here because I, I really want, because in, in a little bit, we're going to do communion. So for just a second, I want you to hear this part. Sin separates. I mean, if you got to stop and think, if, if when Jesus became sin, he felt like he was forsaken by the Father. Then you need to stop and take a moment and consider this. Your sin absolutely separates you from God. Do you understand that? It's not that God doesn't love you. It's not that God doesn't have a great plan for you. But your sin separates you. It pulls you out of his presence. It separates. Because sin does that. And, and when there is sin, there is a need for forgiveness. We're going to be taking communion in a moment. One of the things about communion is it encourages you to what? Examine yourself. And I can't do that. You have to do that. But with the Holy Spirit's presence and guidance, you can examine yourselves and you can see whether or not there is sin. Because you need to understand that there is something that somehow America is absolutely missing. And that is that when there is sin, there is a need for forgiveness. You don't just, uh, they're sin. No, there is a need for forgiveness. Do you know how sin is canceled? By the application of the blood of Jesus Christ. No other way around it. The, the sacrifice of Christ, that blood, is applied to a life and forgiveness is made available. We got so many people that have the concept of saved, but they don't understand the concept of forgiven. To me, that ought to be the message that's preached a little bit more often. You want a relationship with Jesus Christ? You need to seek forgiveness for your sins. All right, so back on track. I want you to picture with me all the sins of the world are resting upon Jesus' body. As he is, and it seems very appropriate to have it that way, as he is suspended between heaven and earth, the perfect lamb provided by the Father becomes the substitution for our sins, our life. And God accepts his sacrifice, judges him for sin, and then guess what? Extends grace to all humanity. Folks, do you get that? Jesus did all of that 
so that the Father could take care of the sin. So that you and I would know something that we would never know except for Jesus' sacrifice. And that is the grace of God. The grace of God. Wow. What a perfect plan. But that very moment right there of all of the suffering, I, I'm, I, I, I don't know. But I'm going to say how hard it was for Jesus in his flesh to be beaten, to be crucified. How hard it was emotionally to realize that I'm dying for a group of people who seems to be so ungrateful, who don't even care, who have such cruelty in their heart and evil in their heart. But spiritually, when he became the sin for us and the separation at that moment when he has to become judged, when he who's never done anything is now being judged for us. That, folks, that's got to be the most difficult time in the whole life of Christ upon the earth. <clears throat> and that's the reason why I read the verse that I started off with, and I'm going to read part of it again in Philippians chapter 2, verse 9. But look at it. It says, Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. I read to you out of Revelations a couple of weeks ago. We talked about his obedience I want to remind you today that what Revelations tells us is this. Every knee will bow. Every tongue. Every person that's ever lived and is alive right this moment is going to see that Jesus Christ, the Son of God, the sacrifice for the world, is Lord. He honored the Father in the most remarkable way. And God has lifted him to a place of highest honor. And that's the reason why he is the centerpiece of worship today. Because he did what only he could do. And God's going to honor that completely. <clears throat>